Hello and welcome back to the Fantasy Playmakers. What is up guys? We've officially reached the end of the 2021 regular season, so no more in-season content. It's time to move on to all the off-season stuff. Dynasty, looking towards the 2021 season, you know, looking at rookies, the draft, all that sorts of stuff. We're going to get into that in the next couple of weeks, but in today's specific video, this is kind of my chance to hold myself accountable to some of the takes I had early in the season or in the offseason, you know, leading into fantasy drafts. So in this video, I'm going to go through some of my best and worst calls player-wise. So either, you know, players I was high on and they achieved well, those would be good calls, or players that I faded and those guys ended up underperforming. And then worst calls would be like players I was high on and they ended up kind of flopping or players I was low on and they ended up, you know, really balling out. So I'm going to go through five of my best calls and then five of my worst calls. And let's just start it off with the best ones first, and then we'll get into the worst ones. I'm honestly kind of more excited to talk about the bad calls because I think that's really where you can kind of learn some lessons moving forward into future years. But starting it off with some of the best options, I'm going to go with Joe Mixon as the first player. He was a guy that I was looking to target in basically every draft where I was at the back end of the first round. So I wasn't picking him in the first round, but at that turn. So early second round, mid second round, if I was there, I was sniping Joe Mixon in almost every single draft. So I really liked him at that ADP. And he had a lot of haters coming into this season. He was someone that I ranked pretty high in my RB rankings, basically throughout the entire offseason. And you know, if there were any kind of qualms with those rankings in the comments, a lot of it stemmed down to Joe Mixon. And really the reason is that he underperformed in 2019. So if you drafted him in 2019, he really did not produce. He played well in 2020, you know, on a points per game level, but he only played in six games and then was out for the season. So he was also kind of a flop there. You know, even though he played well, personally, I just don't really care about the injury because it's not really something he can control. And the running back position overall is an injury prone one. And so I loved everything about Joe Mixon going into the 2021 season. He had the low price because he had that injury prone narrative. You know, everyone's a doctor. And if you get injured, they automatically assume it's going to happen again every single season. Obviously that did not happen. And he was really one of the only workhorse running backs who did stay healthy throughout the entire season. He had a massive workload in 2020 before he did get injured. 19.8 carries per game and 4.3 targets. And then really his only competition in the backfield was Giovanni Bernard. He was getting in on some of the two-minute drills, which obviously was not great to see, but he moved on to the Buccaneers. So really Joe Mixon was going to be the locked-in RB1 with very limited competition. And so I did think he had a legit shot to be a top three running back. You know, that was his upside. And then also this was just an offense that was ascending. You've got Joe Burrow going into a second season. They brought in Jamar Chase. T. Higgins is going to have another year under his belt. You know, the offensive line was definitely still a concern, but it was improved from 2020 in my opinion. So I did think he had that really high upside. He ended up finishing the season as an RB7 in points per game. So definitely outperformed his ADP. And then he was the RB4 in total points. Moving forward, I typically care about that points per game number just because total points, you know, you could just be healthy and totally skew those numbers. When in reality, you know, points per game, I think is definitely the more important metric. And I said he had that, you know, top tier, top three ceiling. What didn't end up happening is he didn't have as large of a role in the receiving game 
as I thought he could, but even without that kind of extra piece of his workload, he was still able to drastically outperform his ADP and was really just a locked in RB1 down the stretch and is someone that you could have drafted as your RB2 or, you know, as your RB1 with a high-end wide receiver or maybe a guy like Travis Kelsey, even though I was definitely fading Kelsey going into this season. And I think, you know, kind of the lesson learned here is that I'm going to be targeting running backs coming off of injuries. So I'm not going to be looking at guys who, you know, suffered really serious ones or are injured going into the season. But I feel like, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people are going to be throwing out the term injury prone. They did it to Joe Mixon. Look what happened. He went out. You know, I think he played a full 17 game season. If he didn't, he played in 16 games. Maybe was banged up, you know, in one game was limited. But he played, you know, basically the entire season coming off of a season ending injury. And you really got him at a really solid value. So I think there, that's kind of the lesson to learn. The next player that I think I really had my finger on the pulse of was Saquon Barkley. And for me, he was a pretty clear fade heading into the 2021 season. You know, everyone was focused on that torn ACL. We didn't know if he was going to be ready to play week one. You know, if he'd be limited, would he have to wait until week two, week three, week four to suit up? You know, it kind of was trending to him playing in week one, but we kind of figured he was going to be limited at least for the first few weeks. And it kind of seemed like that was the only negative people were talking about for Saquon Barkley, which really didn't make sense because people were just totally ignoring how horrible the Giants offense was. You know, even though it's a very small sample size, prior to him tearing his ACL in 2020, Saquon had 19 carries for only 34 yards. So that offensive line was not helping him out at all. And he was just going to have to be so dominant on the ground and in the air to make up for his lack of touchdown opportunities because he was going to be on a bad offense that wasn't going to be putting up a lot of points. So, you know, with the injury concern and, you know, the lack of touchdowns, a poor offense, they're probably going to be down early in games, limiting his rushing opportunities. This really made Saquon Barkley a clear fade for me. You know, I think he started off kind of the offseason as like a mid-tier first round pick and then started to slowly, slowly drop late first, early second. But I mean, a guy that I took a ton over Saquon Barkley, you know, maybe this wasn't available right before the season, but I was smashing the draft button on Austin Eckler as like a back end first round pick over Saquon Barkley in a lot of situations. And that definitely paid off well. So like from Mixon, I talked about, you know, targeting players coming off of injuries. The difference here is that Saquon's injury was actually carrying into the season. You know, other guys like Joe Mixon, he was fully healthy going into week one. So that is kind of the distinction there. The next player that I faded and it ended up being, you know, a solid decision was Trey Sermon. Honestly, I never really understood the Trey Sermon hype coming into this fantasy season. He was being selected as like a sixth or seventh round pick. And I kind of think people just really wanted and kind of expected some of these rookies to come in and just absolutely ball out. But the issue is, you know, these rookies who ball out tend to be pretty solid prospects. And I just didn't really think Sermon was that great of a running back prospect. You know, he was a late third round pick, so we didn't get top tier draft capital. He wasn't a super special athlete. And, you know, he had solid college production. He's like a third, fourth round grade on most people's, you know, draft stuff. And so this wasn't a guy who I thought was going to come in and just be a monster from day one. He was also entering a crowded backfield, playing for a coach who in the past has really been a fan of using a running back by committee. So kind of just a lot of red flags here for Trey Sermon. And the thing that I think is crazy, which really shows just how bad of a pick Trey Sermon ended up being, is that he had every opportunity 
to be the number one running back in this backfield for the people who drafted him. And, you know, there was an opportunity where he may have been a bad pick, you know, looking back at it, but you kind of could have gotten lucky with some injuries because you're looking at Raheem Mostert, who started off this season as the RB1, gets injured week one. You had Jeff Wilson, who got injured in the offseason. You had Elijah Mitchell, who was banged up, missed some games in there. So, I mean, Sermon really had every chance to, you know, make an impact for fantasy football, and he just did absolutely nothing. He managed to only finish with 28.3 PPR points, so just very, very disappointing. And I've kind of reached the point where I am interested in targeting some of these top-tier rookies who have been drafted into solid situations, but I'm going to try to avoid the lower-tier options, who I think are just kind of getting elevated by the hype and the mystery. You know, because for a rookie, hypothetically, they could come in and lead a backfield. No one knows because we haven't seen them play, but you also just got to factor in the downside of, I mean, this guy, you know, may just not be that great of a player. He may not have a role in the offense, and that is definitely what happened with Trey Sermon. Next, I've got a quarterback here, and it is Tom Brady. He was my favorite quarterback target all offseason. He was my quarterback one on almost half of my fantasy football rosters. And I think at this point, people just seem to have Tom Brady fatigue. And this is for fantasy football and for real life production. The man just continues to ball out, puts up top tier numbers. Brady finished the 2020 season with over 4,600 passing yards and 43 total touchdowns. And that was with no preseason after moving over to a totally different Bucks offense. I mean, remember, he went from that Patriots offense with no weapons. They were basically just trying to not lose the game on offense. Now he's in this no-risk-it, no-biscuit, deep-passing Bruce Arians offense. So it is a total, total shift. He didn't have a ton of chemistry with those wide receivers, and there were clear growing pains throughout that 2022 season. You look back at the Saints games, I mean, the Rams, Chiefs, you know, there were some rough outings there in the regular season. The Bears won was a great example. I think that was like week five. But towards the end of the season, things kind of started to click. And then also throughout the postseason, the offense was pretty dominant, especially in the Super Bowl. But going in fantasy football drafts, Brady was essentially being drafted at where he finished as a quarterback in 2020, which was like a back-end quarterback one option. And honestly, when I was looking at the situation, I couldn't see how he would finish lower than his 2020 numbers. You're looking at a full offseason, chemistry with his teammates now, You've got weapons, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. And so I just really couldn't see, you know, how he would underperform from what he did in 2020 with just all these great things going on around him. And he managed to finish the season as the QB3 in points per game and total points. And I truly think his 2022 season could be even better. If you're looking at a lot of points left on the table, I think he had like eight touchdowns dropped in the end zone. So eight touchdowns. The Bucks led the league in drop passes with 41. So Brady really didn't even reach his full ceiling. Plus, you're looking at four of those interceptions, which were just blatantly on the wide receivers, or three on the wide receivers. One was a Hail Mary. So I think I'm going to be going back to the well on Brady at quarterback next season. He's currently sitting as the QB9 on Underdog Fantasy for their 2022 drafts, which I already think is a great value. So someone I'm probably going to capitalize again going into 2022. And then the final player who I think I had a pretty solid read on was Kyle Pitts. I was pretty heavily against drafting him this offseason. He was being selected as like a fourth or fifth round pick, despite having never played an NFL game. And it's not like I hated him as a player or a prospect. I actually really loved him as a prospect 
but everyone knows that rookie tight ends tend to struggle you know during their rookie season and Kyle Pitts would have had to be a unicorn you know something so rare at the tight end position to be able to live up to his ADP and I just didn't want to bet on someone you know having an outlier performance on the season so he faded him and honestly the crazy thing is that he almost did have an outlier performance finishing with 1026 receiving yards like a fantastic rookie season but he still managed to only finish as the tight end 11 in points per game and was just not even close to what you drafted him as. You know, you were picking him probably around earlier than guys like TJ Hawkinson or Mark Andrews. I did prefer Hawkinson, who obviously was injured, you know, didn't finish the season. But I mean, if you were taking Mark Andrews at that slot, I mean, the difference between Pitts and Andrews with the round difference is just absurd. So I think the rookie hype kind of got carried away on Kyle Pitts. But with all that being said, I actually think I'm probably going to be very high on Pitts going into 2022 because I think some people think he's disappointed, didn't get the touchdowns most people were expecting. But I mean, that is truly a historic rookie season at the tight end position. And I do think, you know, he's the number one dynasty tight end. He's going to be a monster moving forward. And now let's shift over to some of the worst calls and kind of break down some lessons that myself and maybe you guys can take into future fantasy seasons. And the first player is going to be Mike Davis. And this one hurts. I really liked Mike Davis as a mid-round running back target coming into the season. I thought he would slot in as a nice RB3, RB4 play. And I mean, that prediction, that idea just totally fell flat. He was unplayable for most of the season and then was basically unrosterable at the end of it. And I think the flawed logic here from me was that he did have decent potential if he was able to receive that workhorse role. But the problem was he just didn't have enough job security to carry any safety. So if he didn't get that high workload, I mean, he would basically become worthless. And I know Kurt Errol Patterson came in and took a lot of his touches. And I'm not really blaming myself, you know, for not seeing Cordero Patterson coming because truly I don't think it would have mattered. Even if Cordero Patterson wasn't there, Mike Davis was just not good enough to command that workload. And he would have been replaced or splitting touches with someone and splitting touches on that Falcons offense was just not going to be fantasy relevant. So I think he really would have been a bust either way. So definitely a bad call there on Mike Davis. The lesson here is probably just looking at Mike Davis's career. You know, he's reaching towards his age 30 season, really never done anything at the running back position. And running backs are fairly replaceable, especially when he hasn't proven himself to be super talented. You know, they probably could have brought in, you know, a bunch of running back two options on teams and they would have performed similar to Mike Davis. So a rough one there. The next call I missed was going to be Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. And I have them both here together, even though obviously Rojo did nothing. Fournette was fantastic. I faded both of them all offseason long. I expected this Bucks backfield to be a three-headed committee between Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, and Giovanni Bernard. And I'm not upset that I didn't target Fournette, even though he was the monster. You know, it would have been great if I had him on my rosters, but I'm upset that I didn't target Fournette or Ronald Jones. Because if we're being honest, no one knew who was going to take over this backfield. Ronald Jones was great in 2020 in the regular season. Fournette was really solid in the playoffs. They both clearly have their flaws. And then they bring in Giovanni Bernard, who's a receiving back. But even if a committee seemed likely for this backfield, I think both of their prices were low enough that the ceiling of one of them, you know, leading the backfield should have been worth that low price. So I'm not upset that I didn't pick Fournette over Rojo. I'm just upset that I didn't really target one or both of them this offseason. Now let's shift over to the wide receiver position. 
and probably my biggest miss, maybe second biggest behind Mike Davis, was Amari Cooper. I really liked Amari Cooper coming into the 2021 season, and that take just totally fell flat, basically all across the board for his production. I thought Cooper would be able to retain his role as the wide receiver one. That definitely did not happen. It was C.D. Lamb. I expected the Cowboys to be very pass heavy. They were in some sense, you know, they were fourth in pass attempts per game, but I was expecting numbers much closer to the Bucks offense, just a very, very high volume passing attack. Didn't really happen. And I think, you know, a decent part of why that happened was that the Cowboys defense just took a complete 180 from 2020. They were trailing in a lot of games, you know, early when Dak was the QB. They totally turned it around this year, which made the offense, you know, be able to play a little bit more conservative. I think kind of the positive thing that came out of this bad take was that I also faded CeeDee Lamb because I thought he was going to be the wide receiver too. And, you know, Lamb kind of ended up being a bust also. He was finishing as the wide receiver 21 in points per game when he was being drafted as like a low end wide receiver one. But I'm not really going to take credit for that because I totally misread this entire situation. Just got lucky that the passing attack wasn't really what I expected. So definitely missed there with Cooper. And I also missed pretty big here with Julio Jones. This was bad because Julio Jones was basically unplayable the entire season. I really expected big things out of him. Coming into 2021, we knew he was getting a little bit older and did miss a chunk of the 2020 season due to injury. But in that season, I feel like it was kind of underreported. He was still really solid when he was on the field. He finished as the wide receiver 14 in points per game. And that was while like leaving some games early, playing through that injury. So the production was totally there. And so when he moved over to the Titans, I thought he would be a really solid wide receiver two option for them in an offense that I thought was going to be high scoring with Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry in a very concentrated target share, really just between those three guys, you know, as the main kind of beneficiaries. As a whole, the entire Titans passing attack really underperformed. Tannehill, A.J. Brown, and Julio all failed to live up to their ADP. And I think the lesson here is probably just being wary of aging wide receivers, especially ones who are switching teams, switching systems. You know, you may be able to squeeze some value out of these veterans. A guy like Adam Thielen comes to mind, you know, especially in 2020, was really solid in 2021 before he went down with that ankle injury. But I mean, they can fall off very quickly, like we saw with Julio Jones and maybe a guy like Allen Robinson, even though I think he's 28 years old. I mean, just looked like a shell of himself out there for the Bears. So you just don't know. And I think that's kind of something you just got to look out for. And then the final wide receiver and the final player that I did not have a good read on coming into the season was going to be Jamar Chase. And this was kind of a weird situation because I did acknowledge that Jamar Chase could be an absolute stud and put up Justin Jefferson type numbers because, you know, he literally was better than Justin Jefferson in college, despite being a year younger. I just didn't want to take the risk of him, you know, potentially starting slow because Justin Jefferson is a unicorn at the wide receiver position. And I think expecting him to replicate those numbers, you know, was just not a risk I was willing to take. Kind of a similar situation here to Kyle Pitts. To live up to his ADP, he would have to absolutely crush it. And he did. He absolutely crushed it, was dominant throughout the entire season. Fading Jamar Chase actually led me into some T. Higgins shares because, you know, I thought Higgins was going to be the wide receiver one, which ended up being solid, but it still was a misread because Chase is definitely the number one option there moving forward. And I think the lesson here is that looking at the last two seasons, 
I think everyone, including myself, should be more willing to invest in rookie wide receivers. Looking at the 2020 class, Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, Chase Claypool, all those guys made immediate contributions their rookie season. And then in 2020, it was Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith, Elijah Moore, and Amon Ra. All those guys, you know, had their moments. Some were dominant throughout the entire season. Amon Ra was a league winner. Actually, I kind of could have talked about Amon Ra as one of my best hits. He was someone that I was attacking in the late, late rounds of best ball. He ended the season absolutely shot out of a cannon. So good to see for him. And then the 2022 class has another solid crop of wide receivers. So I definitely think I'm going to be more willing to go after those rookies, you know, heading into this offseason, going into the 2022 season. But that is going to wrap it up for my best hits and my worst misses. If you guys stuck around to the end of this video, do me a huge favor if you liked it, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. Going to be doing a ton of off-season content. You know, the regular season was a grind. It was fun, but I'm definitely excited to put out, you know, some more creative stuff. I won't have to stick to a super rigid schedule and, you know, can kind of put out whatever I want. But thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one.